Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. So glad that you're here. Hope you had a great week and a great weekend. Let me uh, do as Peter already did and welcome our VIPs today. If it's your first time with us in the room or online, so thankful to have you with us. Let's make some noise for VIPs one more time. And also want to welcome our BT Online family. Let's show them some love, BT Online. So glad you guys are tuned in. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as senior pastor here at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's Word today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, physical or digital, why don't you meet me in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, the Old Testament. Just go to the very beginning of the book and kind of keep going this way. You'll get there before too long, I promise. And so we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1 as we start a brand new series today. And here's the deal. It is always a great day to be at church. That's the statement. But it's really a great day when you're here for the beginning of a new series. Now you're on the hook. This is going to be a seven-week series. You can't miss for seven weeks, all right? And so, uh, no, we are starting a new series today. I'm excited about what we're going to be looking at. And uh, let me uh, open up before we jump to the text with a few things to celebrate. We believe in a culture of celebration here at BT Church. And so some exciting things that have happened in the life of our church uh, this past week. Uh, last week, we gathered in the Valley, all our campuses for Eastern the Valley, the Bird Ogden Arena, our Alice campus gathered uh, there at the campus. Of course, we had our BT Online family. And last week, uh, in total, we had over 4,100 people worship together with BT Church to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We had over 60 people last week place their faith in Jesus, trusting him as uh, savior of their life. 40 people go public with that decision through baptism. And so, so far this year, 167 people have said yes to Jesus, receiving, them, receiving him as their personal Lord and savior. And 68 people uh, have gone public with that decision through believer's baptism. And good news for you, we have one at the end of this. No, we have three at the end of the service, actually. And so we're going to bump that number up before this day is over. So we celebrate what God is doing. It's not about us. It's about him. Uh, and we believe he is not done yet. He's going to continue to transform lives in our church and in South Texas and across the world as well. Uh, l- let me say a few words here and see if some of these connect. See if Some of these words just kind of fall on receptive ears. Maybe these sound familiar or maybe even some of these bring uh, a soberness about them because they're true for what you're experiencing right now. Uh, Here's a word, unprecedented, pivot, pandemic, right? You like the alliteration? Um, A year ago, I mean, I'm sorry, two years ago, We gathered online only for Easter. Two years ago, we gathered online only because there was a pandemic that was taking place that forced us to to pivot in unprecedented ways. And uh, I joke because the words unprecedented and pivot uh, happened to be used more than I care to remember. There's a new word being used today. It's actually uh, a compound word. And the new word that is being used today, and I'm thankful it's becoming part of our vernacular, is post-pandemic. What is life post-pandemic. Now listen, the last two years, everyone is aware of what has happened. It's hit people in different ways. Um, People have responded differently, uh, different opinions, lots of outrage and uproar and all kinds of things. But but the reality is, all of us have had things touch our lives um, that, that in some ways have affected us in deeper ways potentially than the past two years. So let me continue by giving you a few more words that might resonate with you. Um, How about marriage or divorce? Children, inability to have kids, being laid off, being promoted, job transfer, graduation, acceptance, rejection, bankruptcy, Death and loss, diagnosis. I could go on and on and on, but these words, what they all represent are seasons of change and transition and in some ways uncertainty. 
Much like the pandemic two years ago brought seasons of change, transition, uncertainty, and in a post-pandemic world brings seasons of change, transition, and uncertainty, all of those words, and likely the number of people in this room and online, one of those at least connected with you. Some of those are good things, uh, graduations to be celebrated, the, uh, a marriage is to be celebrated, the, the, the birth of a child, right? a, a promotion. But some of those things maybe uh, have negative effects and, and maybe weren't even sought out by yourself like a divorce or the inability to have children or being laid off or filing bankruptcy or maybe even a transfer, which could be a good thing, but it brings a level of uncertainty because it involves a transition. This is what I'm getting at. In life, we go through, this isn't a question, it's not a possibility, it's a certainty. It's certain that we go through uncertainty, right? We go through seasons of change and transition and, and, and uncertainty, and many times we find ourselves asking the question, what's next? So, sometimes that question flows out of an optimistic viewpoint. What's next? I can't wait to get to it. Sometimes we go through those negative situations and we ask ourselves, what's next? Could it get any worse? And what I want to talk about today and for the next seven weeks is that many times as we're looking to what is next, if we would realize it starts now, we would see the hand of God more clearly. We, we, we want to know what's next and what's out there and what happens after this. But so many times we get stuck in neutral and we get high-centered and we don't make traction because we keep looking at, at what's next and missing that what God has planned for us next, he's working on in us right now. And so for the next seven weeks, I want to talk about the fact that next is now. We, we can get so future-minded, we miss the present, and sometimes what we're going through is negative, and sometimes it's positive, it's doubts and transitions and uncertainties, but I promise you, if you will pursue God and be faithful to him, you don't have to worry about what's next, because he's got you right now. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at the book of Joshua. We're not going to go through all of it too long to cover in seven weeks. We're going to really focus on the first ten chapters. And we're going to talk about how do we navigate the next now. When we pick up the book of Joshua, the nation of Israel is going through a pretty significant transition themselves. You see, for 40 years, they've been led by a central figure. His name is Moses. For 40 years, they've been led by Moses. They were, they were delivered from slavery. And for 40 years, this guy Moses faithfully led the charge for well over 1 million people. Well, as we'll pick up today in Joshua chapter 1, Moses is dead. And so for the nation of Israel, imagine the weight of uncertainty. What's next? All we know outside of slavery is, is Moses. God spoke through Moses. God led through Moses. What's Next, but if you think the nation of Israel had some questions, imagine being the guy that followed in his footsteps. Imagine being the guy after 40 years who's told, now, now you're going to lead. Now you're going to take the mantle. Now you're going to lead the charge. You need to listen to my voice because I have plans for the nation and for you. Well, that guy's name is Joshua. And so we're going to jump into the series today, looking at Joshua chapter 1, the first nine verses. And if I gave today a title, I would give it this, Conquering Change. Conquering Change. Now, now let, me, let me just say this. When I say conquering change, I don't mean that I'm going to give you a self-help talk today that deep inside of you, there's the willpower. You just got to pull it out because you're good enough and smart enough. And well, there's a, where there's a will, there's a way. Listen, I'm not against perseverance and hard work. I believe in those things. But conquering change is not a self-help message. It's about understanding that as we press into the Lord, as we seek him more, as we're faithful and obedient and surrender to him, him, then the change that is before us that may be exciting and positive or daunting and negative, the transition in front of us, the uncertainty around us, it begins to dissipate because we conquer change by trusting in him. And so that's really the heart of what I'm talking about today is what does it mean to conquer change by trusting in the living God. So let's take a look at the assignment today. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. First nine verses, this is what it says. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where your soul 
where the sole of your foot treads, just as I have promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, and all the land of the Hittites and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Verse 9, haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so looking at these nine verses, what I want to share with you today are four keys to conquering change. Four keys to conquering change in the face of uncertainty and transition and change and doubt. Here's the first one I'd like you to write down. The word is preparation. Preparation is a key to moving forward in uncertainty. In verses 1 and 2, we find out that Moses has died and Joshua has been commissioned. Moses... The Lord's servant is dead, and the Lord spoke to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving to the Israelites. Sometimes we think of Joshua, and if you have some Bible knowledge in the back of your head, you think of a young guy, because in the book of Exodus, we meet Joshua as one of the young men sent to spy on the promised land. He was one of the two that came back with a positive report. But the reality is he's not young anymore. He's gone through some seasons of life. He's had some preparation. Joshua was born under Egyptian captivity. He was born as a slave. Now listen to me. This is, this is what I want to say to you. God will not waste your pain. Okay, And so Joshua, born into slavery, don't condone slavery, don't endorse slavery. Uh, slavery of all kinds at all times should not be a reality. But Joshua, being born into slavery, no doubt had an experience growing up learning what it would mean to submit and surrender to people. Right? He had to submit to Egyptian taskmasters or things would not go well for him. He had to learn the discipline of hard work. He, he was being prepared, even though the enemy meant it for harm, as we read in Genesis, the Lord would use it for Joshua's good for the day that he would call him to lead the nation of Israel. Beloved, I say this all the time, God is preparing you for what he's preparing for you. Now, you may think, well, who's this guy Joshua, and, and, and why was he picked? It, it, did, did God just kind of pick him out of, out of the thin air? Was he picked at random? And this is what I want to share with you. Joshua was not picked at random. Joshua had been being prepared for this very moment. We know that Joshua would be by Moses' side in Exodus chapter 32 and 34. He would minister along the side of Moses. Now, when you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books that cover the Egyptian, uh, the, the Israelite uh, exile from, or, or exodus from slavery, when you read those books, you read a whole lot about Moses. You don't read a whole lot about Joshua. He shows up in a few places, but what we, what we see is that he was by Moses' side. And this is what I'm getting at. Listen to me. The, the, the sermon today is not about leadership or influence, but here's a nugget for free for you. Joshua was present. He was just in the shadows. He, he wasn't selected out of thin air. God was working on Joshua when Joshua was faithful to be in the shadows. Today, I hear too many believers say they want God to give them influence, and they, 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 they want a platform. And, and hear me, that's, that doesn't have to be a negative thing. But sometimes we want a platform and we want influence and, and we want all these things. And the reason why God has not entrusted that to you yet is because you have not been faithful in the shadows. you got to be faithful in the shadows before God will give you any kind of stage. Joshua was faithful to be by Moses' side. Not front and center, 
but to be by Moses' side. And during that time, God was preparing Joshua for what he had prepared for him. Beloved, I promise you this, you may be facing uncertainty and change and struggle and doubt may be all around you, but you've got to remember this truth that if you have Jesus in you, listen, without Jesus, you're in trouble, all right? Your religion and your family and your culture and your political leaning and all, that won't get you through it. But if you have Jesus in you, by trusting him for salvation, then as you face uncertainty, I promise you, he has either prepared you for what you're about to face or he is preparing you in the moment for what is coming your way. How do we move forward? How do we get to the next now? We understand there is a season of preparation. You would say, well, Chris, how do I prepare for that which I don't know is coming? It's true. You may not know exactly the details of what is coming your way. So how do you prepare? You continue to be faithful and obedient to what God has already revealed to you. Let me just share some commentary. This is not chapter and verse. This is Chris's personal viewpoint. I don't believe God's will is as mysterious as we tend to make it. Listen, the Bible tells us that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. We, we translate that to mean that it's mysterious and confusing. Listen to me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. That doesn't have to mean that it's misleading and mysterious. It just means that he does things and think things that we don't think. Right? He is outside of us. Now, if we're very honest, when someone does things differently than me and thinks differently than me, then I tend to think they're wrong. Sometimes it is not that God's will is mysterious. We just don't like it. Now, now, listen, there are waiting seasons in life. You may be waiting to hear from the Lord, but I think a lot of times when we feel like the Lord is not giving direction, it's either because we haven't done what he told us to do last, right? Why would he give the next step if you haven't taken the first one? We haven't done what he's told us to do last, right? Or, or, or we're just making it a little more difficult than it needs to be. The Bible is clear. God promises peace. Now, now listen, we got to pray, sometimes we fast, we bring in counsel, but God promises peace. And so where you feel peace, you will find the Lord. Now listen, this is a weird statement. You may not have peace about what you have peace about. Let that sink in. What am I saying? You may know full well the peace the Lord has given you to move forward with a decision. It just may not be the decision you want to move forward in. His ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts. And, and so, so many times we, we find ourselves on the precipice, on the front side of major transition, and when we're stuck in neutral and we're high-centered and we don't move forward because we don't realize God's been preparing us, how do we walk in preparation? You are, you're faithful to the word of God. When his ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts, the only way to get to know his ways and thoughts more is to get to know him more. And so in preparation, you run to the word of God. You spend time in prayer. You, you commit to the body of Christ and you do life together in corporate worship and in community and you serve and you give and all of these things, they're part of the preparation process of what God has for you. During uncertainty, beloved, understand this. God is doing a work in you. He was doing a work in Joshua for this very moment. Preparation. Number two, promise. Promise. In verses three and four, again, God would say to Joshua, I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. And then he kind of details how much land that will cover. Hear me, I know this can sound kind of spiritual and not really practical, but I'm convinced that, that there are too many Christians in church today, and when they face difficult circumstances, uncertainty, change, and transition, one of the first things we do is we forfeit one of the greatest weapons we have, which is the promises of God. We, we, we try to figure it out, and we overreact, or we underreact, and we, we, we bring in you know, a lot of voices, and those things aren't necessarily bad, but we forfeit one of the greatest weapons we have that when facing uncertainty, the past promises of God are the certainty that he's still with us. We've got to recall the promises of God in our 
lives. Listen, there is a, a strand of teaching today that I'm just going to use this, this label. I'm not a big label guy, but uh, it's called the prosperity gospel, okay? I'm not a big proponent of the prosperity gospel. I'm going to very much, you know, summarize it this way, and that is that if you really love God, you're going to have lots of money and drive nice cars and fly first class and, and have a big house and always be healthy. Now, let me say this. There is also a poverty gospel that if any of that is true for you, you don't love God. Cars, houses, seats on an airplane, bank accounts, and health are neither a sign of God's definite blessing or his absence thereof. God can bless in all those ways. They are just not the summary total of how he blesses, and they are not the ultimate way in how he blesses, okay? So I don't really you know, support the teaching that if you love God, all this stuff is going to work out for you because most of the New Testament authors, it didn't go that way. Also, if we believe that when trouble comes our way, what are we going to do? We're going to give up the faith. That being said, while I don't endorse prosperity gospel, I 100% endorse victorious Christian living. And there are too many believers that have forfeited a life of victory because they have failed to recall the faithful promises of God in their lives when they face difficult seasons of uncertainty. The nation of Israel, you know, they had a short-term memory problem, right? I mean, honestly, they had a short-term memory problem. They had been slaves for 400 years. God hears the groaning of his people, and he raises up Moses to lead them out of slavery, And so Moses is going to lead the people out of slavery, and the people are like, well, how are you going to do that? Well, guess what God does? He shows up and shows off as ten plagues befall the nation of of Egypt. Ten plagues sweep through Egypt. Each one, Pharaoh's like, okay, nope, just kidding. I won't let people go, right? You you know, you've seen the movie, Ramesses, let my people go. This is Bible nerd for you. Um, It wasn't Ramesses, so sorry, Charlton Heston and Prince of Egypt and all those movies. Um, it was probably Thutmose, but, but Ramesses sounds better. But anyways, um, sorry, my own little ADD moment there. Um, but but so, so a plague would sweep through Egypt, and, and Pharaoh, whoever it was, would be like, okay, I'll let the people go. And then he's like, nah, I'm going to lose my workforce. They're going to stay. Well, finally, the 10th plague, because people say, well, why would God do that? Because Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh did it himself, and then God let him live with that hard heart. The 10th plague would take the firstborn of the families of Egypt. And as mourning swept through, Pharaoh said, this is enough, I relent. And so the people, after seeing God show up and show off in 10 supernatural displays of power, they're set free. Their first obstacle after being set free is this thing called the Red Sea. The Red Sea. They're like, oh, great, Moses, you led us out of Egypt to die on the banks of the Red Sea because the Red Sea's in front of them and the army of Pharaoh's behind them because once he let them go, Pharaoh's like, that's my free workforce. Go get them back. And so they're like, oh, what are we going to do now? You just led us out here to die. Then God supernaturally parts the waters of the Red Sea and they cross on dry land. Problem not completely averted yet because you still have the army who go on to the dry land and then God causes the water to close over them, wiping out the Egyptian army. Ten plagues, a parted sea. Like that, that should stick with you for a little while. So they're out there in the wilderness and they're wandering and they're like, oh my gosh, Moses. I'm so hungry. You're the worst. Church people were different back then. You don't say that about me, I know, but. That's like an amen statement, not a laugh statement. I'm going to keep going. All right. And so, you know, oh, we're so hungry. And and why did you lead us out here to die of starvation? I mean, we we ate like kings in Egypt. Moses is like, well, you actually ate like slaves, but whatever. Um, You know, we had three square meals a day, and now we've got nothing. God literally causes it to rain food, right? You ever, there's that kid's movie, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Like, that happened in the book of Exodus, okay? It's raining food. And then a little time passes, and that, that food was called manna. That, that, that word literally means what is it. And so then, after a little bit of time of eating manna, they're like, oh, I'm so tired of what is it. 
we had meat in Egypt, Moses. God causes there now to be a plethora of meat available. But every time something uncertain comes their way, what happens? They forget what? The past faithfulness of God. Now, we like to laugh, but let's just turn the microscope on us. How different are we? I'm not minimizing the difficult situation that you're probably facing or the one you just faced or the next one you'll face or the uncertainty that comes around it. But those of us that have the certainty of Jesus in our hearts, how often, like the nation of Israel, do we forget the past faithfulness of God? And I know we say, well, well, I haven't seen the seas part, and I haven't seen it rain food. That's true. We maybe haven't seen that. But do you know what we do have that they didn't have? It's called the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And I promise you that Jesus in you of the, by the power of the Holy Spirit will always be more clear and more powerful than an external movement of God. People say, oh, I just want to see a miracle. Your salvation is the greatest miracle God does. We've got the voice of God not among us, right? In the Old Testament, God dwelt in the temple and the tabernacle. He was among people. And then Jesus came, Emmanuel, God was with people. He was progressing because now, Acts chapter 1, God is in people by the power of the Holy Spirit. And hear me, beloved, you face uncertain days and difficult times, and you go through transition, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's difficult, and you say, how will I get through this? You know that God has prepared you for that moment, and then you rest in the promises of God. You remember what he's, how will he get you through this the same way he got you through the last one? You recall and you claim the promises of of God. Hear me, hear me. There's a lot of talk today about trusting God. At the end of the day, it's real simple. Trust in God is the ability to remember what he's already done. That's what it is. Trust in God is the ability to remember what he's already done, what he's already done so you know he will do it again. The promises of God lead us through those seasons of uncertainty so that what we think is next, we learn is actually right now. Number three, presence. Presence. Verse five, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Beloved, two and three go together because God's presence is really an extension of his promises. God's presence is really an extension of his promises. It's this certainty that you're not alone. Listen, sometimes we go through those uncertain seasons, those valleys of life, and we go through struggle, and we don't know how we're going to get to what's next, and we feel overwhelmed and overlooked. Now, let me be clear. If you're in one of those seasons right now, and you feel overwhelmed and overlooked, I am not diminishing the feeling of despair that you might have in your spirit, but I want to say this to you today. Feelings are not facts. It may be that everyone around you, I pray that's not the case. Sometimes, by the way, we feel that everyone around us has overlooked us, and that's not accurate. But it may very well be that everyone around you has overlooked you. But here is the certainty. The presence of God has not left you. He says to Joshua, just as I was with Moses... I'm going to be with you. I will not leave you or abandon you. Jesus would tell his disciples at the giving of the Great Commission, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Let, let me just share a, a little bit of transparent moment with you here. One of the areas that I know God is still working on me in, I know, shocking, I'm not perfect. I'm close, but not quite there. An area of development in my spiritual walk where I must... I must pursue more spiritual maturity. Is this very, this very subject. That when I feel I'm going through a season of uncertainty and I feel those around me have overlooked my struggle and I'm overwhelmed by that sense of absence. One of the things that I have to grow in, and, and I believe this probably relates with some of you, is that I know that God is not going to leave me. And so I therefore take that for granted. And the truth is, sometimes I'm more concerned about you leaving me. 
when I feel overwhelmed, and, and I say you, I don't, you like me, you know, I mean like people, right? Sometimes when I feel overwhelmed and overlooked, and I'm going through uncertainty and struggles, the, the apparent or the seeming absence of the voices of support. Now listen, God's given us the gift of community and we need to rally around each other. But even when you're in the darkest night of the soul, if you've got Jesus by salvation, he will never leave you or forsake you. And I believe that even though God has given the gift of community, at times he will seemingly remove that if that's what it takes to get us to ultimately know that he's all we need. When you go through the depths of uncertainty and you don't know what's next and how you'll get through it, you rest in the promise of the presence of God. Like David, what, what, listen, what, what did David say? We quote all the time Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of shadows, or many of us learned it, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? That's old King James for you right there. Even though I walk through the valley of shadows, I fear no evil. Why? For my boys are with me, right? My crew is right there, right? No, no. For you are with me. Even though I walk through the valley of shadows, I will fear no uncertainty, no evil, no change, for you are with me. My Instagram likes and follows comfort. No, no. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And too many times when we face uncertainty, the opportune time to run to his open arms, we run to the trappings of this world looking for comfort and security. And we find ourselves even more uncertain because those things, hear me, while not evil, social media could be a great tool for the gospel. They just can't be the gospel. And so we run to money or media or whatever it might be looking for comfort and we forfeit the comfort that God has offered to to us, the presence of God will always be what gets you through from now to the next. And then ultimately, preparation, promise, and presence lead to number four, which is practice. How do you get to that place where you know that no matter what's next, God's working on it right now? How do you begin to live a life that conquers change instead of living in fear of it? At some point in time, all of that all of that has to get put into action. It, it, it's, it's faith in action. Some of you sports fans may remember several years ago, there was an NBA player, Allen Iverson, right? And there was a, a pretty famous sports center interview where he was kind of getting chastised by his coach because he wasn't showing up for practice. And he's an MVP NBA player, and he, would, he said in this interview, we're talking about practice, right? It, it, basically, translation, I show up for the game, right? Now, now listen, I, I can't speak to how important practice is for an NBA player. I've, shockingly enough, never played in the NBA. Um, I was close, about nine inches away. And um, so I can't, I can't speak to that. But I promise you in the Christian life, practice is absolutely critical. The practice of the presence of God. The practice of the promises of God. And in verses 6 through 9, we see God telling Joshua just that. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as inheritance. He's saying be strong and courageous because you're going to do this. You're, you're going you're to do what I promised would happen. Above all, he repeats it, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded. He says, don't turn from the right or to the left. Stay faithful to the word you have received. The book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it. And then ultimately, he says, if you do that, you'll succeed and prosper in everything you do. Here's the deal. In the whole prosperity gospel and poverty gospel, we're, we're missing the boat. God is for you prospering. In fact, there's a biblical admonition that you can follow to find a life of prosperity. And you know what it is? Follow the word of God. And here's what happened. You say, what are you saying, Chris? What I'm saying is that if you follow the word of God, no matter what comes your way, you're going to find it to be prosperous because God redefines prosperity. He'll redefine it for you. When God has your yes, you'll be the wealthiest person around. 
And God tells Joshua, listen, you're going dis- to do what I've said will happen. And the reason why that's going to be strong and courageous, and then be strong and courageous, n- not, not to do the hard task, but be strong and courageous to stick to my word. And then ultimately in verse 9, he says it one more time. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Beloved, hear me. At some point in time, all the preparation, all the knowledge of the promises of God, and all the awareness of his presence has to be put into practice. In 20 plus years of serving the church, one of the greatest heartaches I've dealt with is seeing countless people in the seats and in the pews that genuinely want to move forward with the Lord. They really do. They want to take that next step. They, they want to grow. They want to be faithful. And they've got, they, they've got the idea that God's been preparing them for something. They understand the past promises of God. They can recite them. And they believe the presence of God is with them. But they are unable and unwilling to take that critical first step where faith gets put into action. And so they sit week after week in the seats of the churches of our country, and they miss the significance that God has for them. Because at some point in time, we have to act. We've got to put into practice the words that God is speaking to us. And I believe that God knew this about Joshua. Obviously, God's omniscient. He knows all things. I believe he knew this about Joshua. If you think about it, three times in nine verses... God would say, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. He would also say that exact phrase to Joshua three times in the book of Deuteronomy. So at least six times, Joshua has heard from the Lord, be strong and courageous. Uh, this is my sanctified imagination, but, but crossing the Jordan, which is what was in front of the nation of Israel, that was the next step in securing the promise. And I, I just believe that as Joshua stood on the banks of the Jordan River with no Moses to fall back on if things don't go well. No Moses to fall back on, an untried army behind him, because by the way, they were going to have to push some people out. An untried army of very fickle people. (laughs) Remember the whole short-term memory thing? He's about to lead a very difficult task with very difficult people. I I just believe that as Joshua stood on the banks of the Jordan, his knees are knocking a little bit. And so what would God say to him? Be strong and courageous. But don't miss this. The weight of what God was saying wasn't necessarily be strong and courageous to do this great act. It was be strong and very courageous to do what? To follow the word you've been given. Because you will hear from difficult people that you should do things differently. Your friends, beloved, your loved ones that mean well, many times they will give you counsel opposite of what the Bible says. And the Lord says to us, you're going through uncertainty, you're going through transition, you're going through change, you're going through heartache, you're going through the dark night of the soul. Be courageous. What? Not, not, not to go tackle the mountain, but to follow the word that you have been given. Be strong and courageous. And this is what we can learn from Joshua. How do we do that? Faithful steps of obedience. Because back at the very beginning of the chapter in verse 2, there's a very critical word that speaks to God's confidence in Joshua's ability to practice the other three. Verse 1 tells us that Moses, the Lord's servant, was dead. And the the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, my servant, is dead. And the next word is key. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Take some time to build a consensus amongst the people, right? Take some time to build your platform. Take some time to get people on your side. Take some time to chart your course. Take some time to know the best set of actions. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now you and the people prepare to cross the Jordan. Why would God be able to tell Joshua the word now at a time when he could use a little bit of later? 
when Joshua could use a little later, like, hey, let, let me kind of grow into my role, right? I just got promoted to leader of the people. G- g- give me a little bit of time. But, but God would say, now, why would God, I, obviously he's omniscient and he's sovereign and I'm not, so let me use human language here. Why would God with such confidence tell Joshua now? Because God knew the past obedience of Joshua that would lead him to the point to act when the time was right. Your obedience matters, guys. We find ourselves on the front side of transition and we got knees knocking and that's okay. But we don't move forward and many times it's because we haven't been faithful to do what God's told us to do in the past. Because here's the deal. You know how you grow when you're trusting God? You take the next step. You know what he's done in the past and you take the next step. And we stand paralyzed, not sure that it's going to work out. We stand paralyzed. Does God have this? And the reason why that happens is because we don't have enough past history of trusting God. And so today, we've got to take that step forward out in faith, believing that God's got this, that he has the situation in his hands, that he is for us and not against us. And we practice that which we know to be true. Some of you may be familiar with... um, the early 1800s, there was a pretty important uh, expedition. It's called the Corpse of Discovery, led by Lewis and Clark, right? Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Anybody? Social studies, you with me? All right. I'm worried about our school system. Anyways, uh, so Lewis and Clark. It was a point in time in history where President Thomas Jefferson commissioned these two men to lead about 45 others to see what was west of the Mississippi River because the U.S. had just purchased a piece of land called the Louisiana Purchase, all right? History lesson. Now, if you think, well, what's the big deal? It was slightly larger than the state of Louisiana. Um, it, it actually went north and west all the way to the Canadian border. So pretty big, pretty big purchase, all right? And, and, and there hadn't been an expedition yet to that side of the Mississippi. And so Lewis and Clark would be commissioned to, to see what was out there to get to the Pacific Ocean. Now, these are smart guys. They've served in the military. And so they prepared boats to get into the river because logic says if there's an ocean on that side, then a river will get us there. And so they set out in 1804 to to get to the Western Territory and ultimately to the Pacific Coast. But along the way, they ran into one major obstacle, the Rocky Mountains. It's hard to canoe up a mountain, right? When you're in boats and you've got to go over them. And in the journals of Lewis and Clark, we read about the uncertainty they faced after days and weeks and months of travel, believing that they were just going to float their way to the Pacific Ocean, right? Because no one knew what was out there. And they get to the Rockies and they had to decide in the face of uncertainty, do they turn and go back or will they simply act and move forward? Here's the deal, beloved. You've got the past promises of God. Lewis and Clark couldn't look at the past Western expedition. You've got the promise of his presence to never leave you and forsake you. You have the confidence that whatever you're facing, he is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. And my question for you today is, will you conquer the Rockies? Will you keep going? Because he has got this. So so what do we do to move forward? How do we take the next faithful step? Let let me just give you a a few things to kind of learn from. First off, understand that that God specifically asked Joshua to display three things. He wanted Joshua to display personal courage. But more than that, he wanted Joshua to display personal faith because at the end of the day, what God is asking us to do, that, that is not in us without him. Like we live in a culture, Western society, that says you pick yourself up by the bootstraps and and you take the mountain and you lead the charge. And there's a place where God calls us to personal courage. But if it is separated from personal faith, you lack the supernatural power to do that which God is calling you to do. So God called Joshua to display personal courage. But he also called him to display personal faith, to believe that God was who he says he was. And then ultimately he he called him to take personal action. How do we do that? A few things. First thing I would say to you is that maybe for some of us today, we need to grow in our knowledge of spiritual discipline. 
It's time to grow in our knowledge of spiritual discipline. Those, the, and I'm going to mention these specifically in a moment, but, but time in the word of God, commitment to the, to the corporate celebration of worship, practicing community, practicing generosity in your giving, serving with your gifts and talents, fasting, prayer, all of those things. We, we grow in our knowledge of the disciplines of the word of God. Secondly, getting more specific, you let the word of God live in you as you live in the word of God. At the end of the day, there are so many believers that don't know the next step to take because they don't know the word of God. You'll never really, really grasp the depths of the promises of God, and the presence of God, if you're not in the word of God. And, and, and so you, you just make a decision, right? It's, it's not this super spiritual epiphany like, oh, you know, I'm going to go to lunch today and in my soup, the alphabet soup is going to say, you know, Proverbs. I'm going to read Proverbs. You, you just, may, I mean, that might happen. Take a picture, please, and post that. That would be awesome. And then tag me, in, in a, and I'm going to say, I told you it would happen. Um, you know, you, you may not get the answer in your tortilla at Coco's later. But, but anyways, you just make a decision. And so you, I've said it all the time. You pick up the book of Psalms. Read the first five in the next seven days. You, you pick up the book of Proverbs. One a day for a month. You go to the New Testament, and you grab the Gospel of Mark. It's a short life account of Jesus. Can't go wrong. And you just start getting into the word of God. You, you, you join a community group. You, you jump into our next class session uh, of Pathways 101. You make a decision. You, you find somebody. If you're, listen to me. If you're currently not in the word of God, you find somebody that you think is. And you say, hey, I need some help getting into the word of God and understanding what I'm reading. Would you help me? Could we meet once a week or every other week? Or could we have a phone call? Or could you email me what your thoughts are? The worst thing that happens is they say no. And then you just ask the next person. <laughs> but you got to get the word of God in you. And as that happens, prayer. I think we've relegated prayer to a quaint mealtime speech. <laughs> it is communicating with Almighty God who spoke everything into existence. Beloved, if we would put the intensity and fervor into our prayer that we put into our talks with our friends when we need their advice... If I would expect when I pray to God to receive the level of revelation I think I'll get from Isaac when I ask his advice on a subject, oh, how things would change. And so you just, you just again, probably not going to find it in the alphabet soup. You just say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray for five minutes, for one minute. We get so fixated on like quantity. Just do it and write some things down as you pray. Listen to me. I, I got to hurry up. I, I'm convinced one of the reasons why I believe the Lord put this series in my heart is, yes, we want to walk through the book of Joshua. And we want to talk about dealing with transitions in life. But the undercurrent, honestly, the undercurrent of this series is really this fact that I think as we stand in a post-pandemic world, I think there are people all over our church, all over our campuses, watching online, and, and they, are, they are just waiting for spiritual breakthrough in, in certain things. They're just, they can feel it. They know they need it. They long for it. You are waiting for spiritual breakthrough. And I believe the Lord wants to come through on those things. And so listen to me. i got to explain this because next week this is going to get put into action. Next week, if you're here in the room, we're going to have a display out in the atrium. And what I'm going to ask you to do is that if you have a situation that you're needing breakthrough in, finances, health, relationships, despair and anxiety, just overwhelming sense of loss, confusion, direction, peace. I'm going to ask you to grab a tag next week and to just write it down. You be as specific or general as you want. And you're just going to write that down and then you're going to leave it here. And then, and then someone's going to, going to take it with them. You see, so you're going to leave a request, but then we're also going to take those requests. And if you take it, you're committing to pray for it. But this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you leave a request, when you begin to see God work, listen, so many times we want to get to the payoff and, and we miss what God does in the process. 
And so I'm not talking about when the skies part and the breakthrough happens. I'm saying when you start to feel the stirring that God is moving on your behalf, the moment, the week you feel God moving in that situation, you're going to go back to that display. There'll be a different color tag. You're not going to write anything down. You're just going to get that different color tag, and you're going to leave it on the display board so that at the end of seven weeks, I'm convinced I may be wrong and look foolish, but by the end of seven weeks, we will be leaving requests and taking requests, and a praying church is a powerful church, but we'll have a visual evidence of God bringing breakthrough in our lives, and I think that will be the fuel that we need for what's next. Pray. You got to keep your joy in the right place, by the way. So many times we get derailed in seasons of uncertainty because we've taken our joy and instead of leaving it in Jesus, we put it in something Jesus provides. And here's the danger. Joy and identity tend to follow each other. And so if you're moving your joy, that's probably because your identity is in something else. And as good as the blessings of God are, they're not God. And if your identity is what he can do for you instead of who he is, there's a challenge. You keep your joy in the right place. You serve. Hear me, hear me. Serving, getting connected to our dream team, using your gifts and talents to bless others, that is a fortifying action to your faith, which will only serve you when you feel uncertain. But then ultimately, hear me, ultimately hear me. No matter what you do, if you don't do it with Jesus, it's all pretty limited. We live in a culture that says, hey, you can manage and you can get by and you pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you work harder. And, and this is what's so sad. We live in a society where many people, many of us, we've just learned to manage when God wants to break through. And, and the challenge is without Jesus, you may manage this struggle or this uncertainty, but there will be another one after it, and there'll be another one after it, and there'll be another one after it, and at some point in time, instead of breakthrough, you get breakdown. And even if you're able to manage all the uncertainty of this life, without Jesus, you can't manage the uncertainty of of eternity. It's an unpopular thing to say, but without Jesus, there is no hope for eternity. And so whether you're in this room or you're watching online, I want to encourage you today, if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, I'm not talking about religious activity, but a moment you said, yes, I need you. Would you save me? Then I'm going to encourage you to make that decision today because hear hear me. If you'll give your life to Jesus, then what happens next in eternity gets secured right now. That if you would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I'm going to pray, and then those of you in the room and those of you online, we're going to have an opportunity to respond for just a few moments. God, I pray in these next few minutes you would speak to our hearts. And God, I pray you'd give us clarity of decisions that need to be made. Father, I pray that as you give that clarity, you would give a conviction as well to take necessary steps to be faithful to all that you've called us to. God, I pray that here in this moment, in this room, and in homes really all over, that you would begin to accomplish the work of breakthrough, that you would help us become people that conquer the changes that many times paralyze us. And God, I pray that ultimately it would be for your glory. And we pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen.